So let's begin with a word of prayer as we get into our study together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together that we get to look at your word and look at these, these interesting and necessary things for us as your children. And Lord, we don't want to be hapless and hopeless and helpless as believers. We want to be spirit-filled believers who are living with purpose and who have your power and who are bearing fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. So Lord, as we continue this study, may you enable us to be bearers of the light, bearers of the truth, witnesses to your name, filled with your spirit, and evidencing the love of Jesus in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lead us in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to do a little bit of review for last week because it was sort of a a drinking from a fire hose to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hope you were here with us. If not, you can um, go on the app or go online and see uh, what we had done. And then uh, also we've been posting these PowerPoints uh, in a Google Share Drive that I sent out on email to the church. If you didn't get that or you'd like access to that, uh, it's very easy. We can, we can certainly share that with you. Uh, because there's a lot of scripture. When you do something topical and you talk about something like the Holy Spirit, there's so much scripture that we need to bring into play to help us understand these things that we're considering. And the same is true this morning as we talk about the evidence of the baptism or the filling with the Holy Spirit. So by way of review, uh, we talked about this probably a couple of times now, but going back to Acts chapter one, we find this passage of scripture that says, therefore when they had come together, they asked him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the end of the earth. Sometimes I quote from King James and sometimes I quote from New American Standard because I grew up on those. Uh, so excuse that. Uh, to the end of the earth, I think the King James says to the uttermost parts of the earth and another translation says to the remotest regions. And I love that. And of course, we just heard this morning from Jed as he talked about being in Georgia, Russia, uh, and we need to keep them in prayer, right? Because uh, they are there by faith. Uh, they, they sense the call from the Lord. They went there. They're in a former Soviet country that is m mostly um, Muslim, but the predominant religion is Eastern Orthodox. So talk about a hodgepodge. And yet that's where they're ministering. And as he said, the Eastern Orthodox Church sort of is uh, interwoven with the government, and so it's difficult for them to find places to have, be rented to, and just like what Paul and Melanie are experiencing in Jordan, because the country is predominantly Muslim, to rent to a Christian organization is a, anathema to them. So they are really on the front lines, you know, doing the Lord's work, and they need our, our prayers and, of course, the Lord's help and guidance and providing for them. And they are living examples to us, to me, of people who have the power of the Holy Spirit, who are trusting God in faith and who are going to these places that need to hear about Jesus. And so um, they are examples to us and I'm sure many of us know other people who are serving the Lord or have been serving the Lord for some period of time faithfully. 
And so they are living epistles to us of this scripture. And so just a reminder that in order for us to go, Jesus then went on to show, to demonstrate in Acts chapter two, that there would of necessity be this baptism or this filling of the Holy Spirit, this coming upon his people with the power of his Holy Spirit. And we spent some time last week developing that and talking about the fact that it's never intended to be weird. It's not intended to be something strange. It is a natural thing. It is a supernaturally natural thing that the Lord does, and it's something the Lord does for his people. It was not a one-time event that God did just to get the church jump-started in the book of Acts, and then he's just kind of left us on our own, and you got the, the indwelling of the Spirit when you got saved and gave your life to Christ, and that was it. He's given us of his Holy Spirit, and I believe I've shown as clearly as I could last week that there, there seems to be, there is, a second blessing, if you want to call it that. There's this coming upon of the Lord uh, where he sends his spirit to come upon us and he empowers us just as he empowered these early disciples to be his witnesses. And he gave them gifts and we're going to get to that in another couple of weeks and start talking about the giftings of the Holy Spirit. And all of this is something that God has intended for his people, for his church, that we might have power to be his witnesses, that there might be evidence that our lives have been transformed by the truth of the gospel and the, by the coming of Jesus Christ into our lives, and that we might live different lives, that we might live holy lives. You may remember the story of the apostle Peter in the gospels. As Peter and the other disciples were with Jesus, they were learning from Jesus, they were spending time with Jesus, and as they came to the time of the Lord's table that evening, uh, Peter looked around at his, his friends and he said, Lord, even if these men deny you, I never will. And Jesus said, oh yes, you will, Peter. And he says, even before this night is over, you will deny me three times. And here in Mark, the Gospel of Mark is just one of these places uh, it says here, now Peter was below in the courtyard, so this is while Jesus is on trial and he's following from a distance. Uh, uh, Peter was in the courtyard and one of the servant girls of the high priest came and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again, and a little later those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Why do I share this scripture with you? Because this is what Peter was like before the day of Pentecost. Now, I don't know about you, I'll just speak for myself here, but I, I believe probably many of us can identify with this. Peter was in the world, he was following Jesus from a distance, the other gospels tell us, and he was reluctant to identify himself with Christ. Any one of us here ever had that experience as a believer? I would say if you have, as I have, that that sort of points to the fact that we are powerless, 
that we are either not walking in the Spirit or maybe we've never had that encounter with the Holy Spirit that we described last week. Or maybe we aren't currently filled. Remember, uh, even after the Holy Spirit comes upon us, you know, we leak. Uh, sometimes we just get in the flesh, so to speak, and we're not following the Lord and we need to be refilled. And we ask the Lord to fill us again afresh and anew with his Holy Spirit. But this is a picture for us of a person before he had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. But after that, and I'm not going to go back through all of those things we went through last week, we saw on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit along with the others who were in the upper room, the 120, and he and the 12 apostles went out and they began to speak. They began to preach. And as they did, they spoke in other tongues. And we know that those tongues were known languages to all of those who were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, but languages unknown to them. And we were told in that passage that everyone looked at these men and said, we know that they were untrained and uneducated men. And they wondered at what was happening and they heard in their own languages the the wonderful praises and the glorious Uh, things about God that they were speaking that were pointing them to Jesus Christ. And as they spoke those words, Peter then recalled the passage from Joel chapter two where he said, in the last days the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and uh, the spirit will be poured out on men and women and young men and old men and all of those things and that there would be evidence that would be given that the spirit had been poured out on all people. And so as that happened, we continued to go through the book of Acts and we looked at these different scenarios, such as this one in Acts chapter eight, Peter and John were sent down to Samaria because the church in Jerusalem had heard that the Lord was doing a work there. And as they came down to that little body of believers there who had believed on Christ, but they had not yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit, It says that they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for as yet he had fallen upon none of them and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's this this blessing, this second experience, this additional experience of the Holy Spirit and then just to, to point again to Acts chapter 10 as Peter was spoken to on the roof of Simon the Tanner And he went up to see Cornelius up in Joppa. And while he went up there to speak to them the words that God had put on his heart, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as these were the people who were traveling with Peter. And as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God." And then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? You see, there's no real order here. In the previous scenario, we see that they had already been baptized in the name of Christ. I went the wrong way here, sorry. They had already been baptized, but they had never received the Holy Spirit. And then here, they had neither received the Holy Spirit nor had they been baptized. So it's not like God's given us a formula. He knows how we are. We like to create formulas and say you have to do A, then B, and then you get C. And God doesn't allow us to do that. Uh, And I love that about the Lord. He just wants us to depend upon him. And so continuing on in Acts chapter 11, 
Peter had gone and spoke the words to the Jerusalem council. They said, now, Peter, what are you doing? Going to Gentiles, preaching the gospel. We don't really like that. And Peter was there saying, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit simply fell, just as he did upon us. God did for us, did for them what he did for us. And he says, then I remembered the word of the Lord. So he went back to Jesus. And you gotta love this about Peter because in a sense here he's saying, I have an out, I have an excuse. Jesus said this, not me. He says, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift as he gave us, the Jews, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And then we looked at Acts 13 and we saw there that uh, as Peter, excuse me, as Paul and Barnabas were being sent out and they were speaking the gospel and they had gone into a particular region and people didn't like them and they were persecuted and it says they were expelled from the region. It says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and they came to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we began to get and uh, sort of an indication here that synonyms are used with the filling of the Holy Spirit and one of the evidences of the filling of the Holy Spirit is being filled with joy. And we're gonna get to Galatians 5 in a moment, but of course Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, joy is listed as a manifestation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then last week we had looked at Acts chapter 19 where Peter, excuse me, Paul was traveling and he had gone to Ephesus. And as Paul came into the gathering of believers at Ephesus, Paul being a spirit-filled man himself, walked in and as he came in there, he noticed something was lacking. And I would submit to you that even though the scripture doesn't specifically say that, what he noticed was a lack of these believers having that gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he came and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not even so much as heard whether there's a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, and to what then were you baptized? And so they said, and to John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, that's good. Uh, saying to the people that they should believe on him, that is Jesus, who would come afterwards. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, the order's different. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now we see them speaking with tongues and prophesying. So this is just God moving and God distributing the gifts as he sees fit on whomever he sees fit, whenever is the right time for him to do so. Some of the other things we looked at, just to, and I'm not gonna go through all of these scriptures, but as we look at how the Holy Spirit came upon the church on the day of Pentecost, following that, they were filled, 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 they were filled. And so something that happened over and over and over is that they continued to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to be filled on a continual basis over 
and over again. So what is the evidence? How do we know we've been filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we know that the Spirit has come upon us? Are we going to speak in tongues like the first century disciples? There are many today who say, you have not been baptized in the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. I do not agree with that. That's what happened in the early church, but that's not the only evidence. That's one evidence. And as you look at all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what about all of the other gifts? Paul will deal with this very succinctly when we get into the gifts and we look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We will see that the Spirit distributes severally as he will the gifts to whomever he wants. And so how do we know? How do we know that the Spirit has come upon us? Not just the indwelling, but the filling. And I would like to look at Galatians 5 this morning. And so let's read this together here. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, so he's going to set up the juxtaposition here of what it looks like to be unsaved and to be someone who does not know the Holy Spirit versus someone who does. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to do a little Bible study for extra credit, Galatians 5.21, where he says there at the end that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Go search that out and see how many times that appears in the New Testament, where it is emphasized over and over that people who do these kinds of things, who practice these kinds of things, will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is another way of saying they're not believers. And so it's another way of also saying that if someone identifies themselves as Christ and says they're a believer, but this is what their life looks like, then something is wrong with this picture. Because to say one thing and do another is what? It's hypocrisy. Or worse, it's just not true. What you say and what you do should line up. And what we do always bears out what we believe. Is that true? It always bears out what we believe. So we can say one thing, but if we look at our own lives, we look in the mirror and we say, boy, I say this, I believe that, but I do this, and they don't align, then we can do a little self-assessment there and say, okay, Lord, something's wrong in my life. I need your help. So let's continue. We've looked at sort of the bad news here. Let's look at the good news. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. How do I know that I have been baptized by the Spirit? I would say to you, a predominant way that we know is the fruit of the Spirit. 
Now, there's two points of view here on this passage of Scripture. If you count the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, you'll count nine. But I believe that what this passage is saying, this is my own personal opinion, because it says the fruit of the Spirit, and, then it, and I looked this up just to be sure, the f- word fruit is singular, not fruits. So it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are, so if we go back to our eighth grade English subject verb agreement, right? But the fruit singular of the Spirit is love. And I believe what this is saying is that love as expressed through these qualities. How do we know we have love? If the manifestation of love is evidence of having the Spirit in our lives, the the baptism, the secondary experience with the Spirit, then I believe love is the primary motivation, it's the primary gift, it's the primary evidence that we have received the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this is not natural. This is supernaturally natural. How many of us are naturally loving people? When you get up in the morning, you just feel loving. Yeah, okay, we got one. All right, praise the Lord, right? And you go through your day and you get behind the wheel of your car and you're like, man, I'm just feeling the love, Lord. Because I'm telling you, that's not my experience when I'm driving to work, sadly to, to say. But the fruit of the Spirit is love And I say love is manifested as I see it here. How is love manifested? By joy, by peace, by patience or long-suffering, by kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with those things. Anybody here struggle with self-control? You eat something you shouldn't eat. You watch something you shouldn't watch. You should exercise and you don't. And we could go down and make a long list of things of shoulds that we don't do or the do's that we shouldn't do. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, if we can accept this and understand that the primary evidence of the Spirit is love, now we understand that as we go out to be His witnesses, because remember He said in Acts chapter 2, and He said in Acts chapter 1, He says, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. What is the best way to be a witness to Jesus in addition to sharing the gospel? It's to be a living epistle. It's to be a letter that everyone can see. It's to allow your life to be the canvas, the backdrop for God to paint his picture upon. And love is the ink. Love is the paint that he uses to paint on the canvas of our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is love. And this, these qualities of love, joy. I think a, a joyless Christian is and should be a paradox. It should be an enigma to us. Joy is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I just I showed you a, a scripture earlier that said they were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. So you could say that to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with love. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with joy. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with peace. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with patience. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with kindness. To be filled with the Spirit is to have that quality of goodness or rightness or righteousness. To be filled with the Spirit is to have that quality of faithfulness. That is that that quality of perseverance and just always wanting to be faithful and true to the Lord. 
to be filled with the Spirit is to have that spirit of gentleness about us, regardless of our personality. To be filled with the Spirit is to be able to exercise self-control. How do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit and He's come upon me? I'll be His witness, and I will have these qualities now becoming a part of my life. Now, are we saying that having become filled with the Spirit or having the Spirit come upon us, that we have now attained a state of, of sinless perfection? Absolutely not. As long as we are on this side of heaven, the Scriptures give us a picture that we struggle with our flesh. So that's not, this is not saying that you've now reached some utopia or some nirvana because you've become baptized by the Spirit. Not at all. That's why it points out that we have to be filled over and over and over and over. But how do I know I've had this experience? You see, my life is trending in this direction. And I once heard this illustration, and I loved it. I remember the day I heard it. It just zinged me between the eyes. This pastor was speaking, and I don't even know the context in which he gave this illustration. But he said that this, uh, after service, this young man went up to this older believer in Christ, many, many years his senior in Christ, and just said, you know, you know, sir, can you tell me what have you learned over the course of your life as a believer? And he said, what I've learned is I sin less and I repent more. And here's why I love that. Because as we grow in Christ, as we're going through this process of sanctification and as the Spirit of God is having his way within us and being busy about that work of conforming us to the image of Christ, our lives are becoming more like this. And if I'm sinning less, meaning I'm just, I'm growing in my walk with God, but he said, I repent more. What's happening? I'm becoming more aware of my sin. And so I'm constantly just giving that back to the Lord. And I'm just repenting. And as I repent, I just say, Lord, just forgive me. Just fill me, Lord, again. I want to walk in the newness of life. I want to walk in the fullness of your love. And so this issue of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in my view, is paramount as evidence that we have been baptized by and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I say that? Am I stretching the interpretation? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I don't think Jesus was talking about trying real hard to manifest the quality. I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit because this same Jesus said in these same passages, when I go, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. He will be your helper. He will be your advocate. He will guide you. He will lead you into all truth. And then Jesus later said in those same passages, this is a part of what we call the upper room discourse, in that same stretch of, of talking to his disciples, this is where he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And love will become the quality that marks your life. A little bit later, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you, para alongside and will be in you. We talked about these three prepositions, the relationships we have with the Holy Spirit. 
And then later in the same passage, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I submit to you, this is evidence of the filling of the Spirit. Jesus manifests himself to us in and through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Love, I believe, is the primary evidence. But as we continue, John 15, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. What does that fruit look like? It's listed out for us in Galatians 5. And as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In other words, your relationship with me will look like my relationship with the Father. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, there it is again, may remain in you and that your joy may be full, a mark of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 as Paul is writing so many years later. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God, the Holy Spirit, to love one another. Do you get the picture here of how love marks the life of a believer? But as we continue here in this passage in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So you see, obedience is also a mark of being filled with the Spirit, of being filled with love, of having this relationship with Jesus. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You see, this is the will of Jesus. How is it that Jesus appointed us to go and bear fruit? I submit to you, it's by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and that your fruit should remain. In other words, our fruit shouldn't be you know, like, you know, you put fruit on the table and somebody doesn't eat it and it rots and you throw it in the trash. He's talking about fruit, an everlasting quality, an eternal quality, a God-like quality to the fruit that Jesus bears in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you that you love one another. Do you get the sense that loving one another is important to Jesus? Do you think that Jesus, and this is just, again, my own sort of slant on things, would just say, hey, love one another and then leave it up to us to do it? I think not. I think he would go a step further, and I think he has by saying, I would send the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit as he comes in your life will bear the fruit of love, and you will be empowered to be my witnesses by loving one another. And that witness is not only to to us as the body of Christ, but it's a picture to the world of what godly love looks like. That's why I think it is so tragic 
when churches fight and when they have splits and when there's conflicts, it is utter hypocrisy to the world, and they don't even have the scriptures, but they, they look at us and they say, well, aren't you guys, isn't God love? And you guys don't look like love. And you see, it becomes a blight on the name of Christ because this isn't true in our lives. Now, I can't do anything and you can't do anything about what's happening out there in churchianity, but we can do something about what's happening here, can't we? By allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us with love. Jesus said in John 17, what we call his high priestly prayer, and as he's praying, he says to his Father, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, if Jesus is going to go away, as he said he would, how would he be in them? How would he be in us? He already said it because he would send the helper. He would send the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would testify of and point to Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The love of God manifest in us points to Jesus and we are his witnesses. You see, this is the way God wants to work in our lives. That love would be poured out, that, that love would be shed abroad in our hearts, and that the fruit of the Spirit would begin to be manifest in our lives. Now, this analogy of fruit, if you think of it, if you garden or you, you know, here we live in New England, we have fruit trees all over, especially apple trees. We know how that process works. An apple tree is going to bear apples. A pear tree is going to be bear pears. A, a, a tomato vine is going to bear tomatoes. And that analogy is given to us so that we understand, just as he said in John 15, we're to stay connected to the vine. The vine is Jesus. We are the branches. We stay connected to him. If you abide in me and my word, my love abides in you, you will bear much fruit and show, prove that you are my disciples. And Jesus, as he's praying to his father, says, Father, I want your love that you've loved me with and that I've loved them with, I want that to be in their lives. And you see, an answer to this prayer that Jesus prayed is the Holy Spirit. In John 21, in this famous interaction between Jesus and Simon Peter, we find this interaction here. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these, pointing to the other disciples? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, why do I share this with you? Because another evidence of the Holy Spirit is a desire to serve Jesus, to be obedient to him. Now here, Jesus was telling Peter, of course, 
to, to do these things to the body of Christ, to feed my lambs, to feed the body of Christ, to tend uh, the sheep, to tend the flock of God. And so you could say here, in a sense, this was the calling of Peter, not just to be an apostle, but to be a pastor. But how do we apply that to ourselves? Well, some are called to this ministry, of course, but not all of us are. But there is a calling here, I believe, for all of us to understand that he does call all of us through the love that he has given us to serve him. And just as he called Peter to serve him, I think, as I read the scriptures and understand this, and we're going to look at a couple of more scriptures here, that being filled with the Spirit means I have a newfound desire to serve the Lord. Now, what does that service look like? That's something you have to work out and walk out in your relationship with Jesus. But to do something to serve him, and I'm not talking about works, I'm just saying there's this desire to say, Lord, use me for your glory. Somehow use me to serve you. And there's a myriad of ways that we can serve God. I'm not going to even try to list them all out because I don't want to limit your view on what it means to serve God. Certainly you can serve God in the church. Certainly you can help in various ministries. But I think of, uh, you know, Chris isn't here today, but, you know, Chris felt the call of God to go be a street evangelist, and so he does that, right? Oh, he's right here. You're not, you're not over there. You moved. You can't do that. It's a dirty trick. But he serves the Lord by, you know, he heard the call of God, and so he does that. Amen? So what is God speaking to you? Ask him. Lord, I want to serve you. Tell him if you indeed do. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if you indeed want to serve him, say, Lord, how can I serve you? And, and let him speak, and he will. But here's the thing. If you ask, be prepared to respond to what he asks you to do. In Ephesians 5, we have this amazing passage of Scripture. Let me read it to you. You can read it with me. Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. That means redeeming the opportunity because of the the words that are used there in the Greek. Redeeming the time, redeeming every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So here is this passage where Paul says, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. And a literal translation a rendering of the way the Greek verbs are used here would be this, but be ye continually being filled. In other words, it's something that we're supposed to do continually all the time every day. And I take that to mean something like when I get up in the morning, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Uh, In the half hour between that, when I get in my car, Lord, I need to be filled again because I'm not looking forward to this because of all the crazy people on the road. Lord, fill me with your spirit and let me be a witness as I'm driving to work. When I get to work, when I do what I'm doing, whatever your day looks like, Lord, fill me with your spirit. 
Now we talked earlier about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, do you see how the fruit of the Spirit lines up with that? As you're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, can you see that that's love and joy and peace and patience all kind of coming out? It's like oozing out of my life in the form of pleasant speech. In fact, earlier and at the end of chapter 4, Paul spends a lot of time dealing with our tongue. And he talks about how we speak to one another. And he says, let your speech edify one another. Let it give grace to the hearer. And see, to me, this all lines up with the fruit of the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. To me, that's a picture of joy. Giving thanks always for all things to God. I would say a thankful heart is an evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because how many of us, honestly, if we admit it, say thanks to the Lord throughout our day many times, for what's going on. Because it says here, give thanks always for all things to God. There's another passage in 1 Thessalonians that says we are to give thanks, uh, it takes it further, this says in for all things, and uh, the passage in, the, in 1 Thessalonians 5 says in all things. So it kind of covers all the bases. And yes, we are to give thanks for everything always to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and there's that dirty word, submitting, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Paul goes on to say in, in Romans 12, which is a passage we're going to look at when we talk about the gifts, and he's going to talk about preferring one another, showing preference to one another in honor, which is the same idea here as submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So this is another evidence that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. What? That we continually are seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit, that our speech is transformed, that our attitude is transformed, and that this is kind of the way we interact with people. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That singing and making melody in your heart, you see, that's, that's what's going on in here. And remember, Jesus is the one who said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we need to pay attention to what's going on in here. And if we are singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, and we are filled with the Spirit, then I would say that's going to transform the way we look to others, to our neighbor, to the people who live under the roof with us, to our coworkers. And that when we're at work, we're not, we don't become a different person. We don't have different language that might be colorful and flowerful at work because we're with those people. You see, we are a witness for Christ. We are, if we are filled, if we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, it permeates every area of our lives. You see, it brings a consistency to our lives that no matter where I am and what I'm doing, I act the same. I'm not like an actor that when I get on stage, I look wonderful to everyone, but when I get behind the wheel of my car, I become Dr. Jekyll. You see, the Holy Spirit permeates our lives. 
And no matter what happens, no matter what those things are in our lives that set us off and tick us off and that are our pet peeves, we submit them to the Lord. We are filled with the Holy Spirit and he will transform the way we deal with those things because he changes our attitude. I remember when I was in college, I heard someone say, and this came straight out of modern psychology, that, you know, you can't change your personality. In other words, whatever personality you were born with is what, that's you. And I, I'm just gonna say, I just utterly reject that because I know what God's done in my life. He has changed me, he has transformed me. I, I, I would have never envisioned myself being up here doing this. There was a time in my life that to stand up in front of people, my tongue would get tied. It it would feel like a, you know, there was a lump in my throat and I would start to sweat. And it was just like this crazy, just tension. And God took all that away because he gave me a gift and he called me. And as we use our gifts that God gives us, and as we submit to the calling that he has given us, whatever that calling is, and we use our gifts for his glory, and we say, Lord, it's not about me, because I don't know about you, I've seen it, I've I've watched people die, okay? Sitting with my parents watching them die was a horrendous thing, but it changed my life. Because when you're there, and you're sitting with them holding their hand, and their life is ebbing away, and you think in those moments, what was it all about? Why did I live? God, why did you create me? Why did you put me on this earth? If I believe that God put me here for his glory and he saved me because he has a purpose for my life, forget what my purpose is. What is his purpose? For what reason has he created me? Why did he put you here? Why are you where you are in life right now? I submit to you it's because God has done something. God has a purpose. God has a plan, and it all has to do. It's interwoven with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life. The Holy Spirit, be filled. Be ye being continually filled with the Holy Spirit, and let him do in you things that you could never do. I mean, God will take our lives. Think, think about Paul. Think about Peter. Think about all these biblical characters. Do you think that they thought at whatever point in their life just before Jesus came into their lives, do you think that they would, thought, would have ever thought that their lives would have taken the turn that they did and that they would be doing the things that they were doing that ended up taking them to the end of their lives? Do you think that Peter thought when he was out on the boat one day fishing, that one day he would die by crucifixion upside down. I don't think he thought that. I don't think that Paul, the apostle, who was on the fast track to become the head of the Sanhedrin, he was one of the leading men, he was on his path to rocket to fame in the religious hierarchy of, of Jerusalem, and he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what was Paul's end? He had been shipwrecked, he had been beaten. You know, five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews and you go through that list that he lists there in 2 Corinthians 11, I believe it is, where he lists all that stuff out. And we know at the end of his life as he writes 2 Timothy, that was his swan song. 
And as he wrote that epistle from the Mamertine prison in Rome, the worst dungeon you can think of, living in and walking in squalor and filth, that he, as he's writing it, he's saying, I've finished the course, I've fought the, 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 the fight, I've kept the faith. As he's there in that situation, looking to heaven, he's saying, I've done what God gave me to do. And I suggest to you, that's, that's the end. That's, that's where we're headed. Not necessarily the Mamertine prison, but if we are willing to be filled with the Spirit and to allow the Lord to do in us what he truly wants to do, I believe he's going to do an amazing thing. He's going to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we could ask or think. Romans 5, now hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We could go on more with these verses that point to and talk about the love of God and how God's love has been poured out in our hearts and that this is, in my opinion, the primary fruit that is born out in our lives as a result of the filling of the encounter of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when it says, when it uses language like this, the love of God has been poured out. It's not like he gave us a, a shot glass worth of love. You get the sense that he just like took a picture and dumped it out. We have been doused by God's love. I love the New American Standard rendering in Ephesians 1 where it says he has lavished his grace upon us. You don't get the sense that what God did was give us just enough, but he gave us more than we could ever use. He's given us all we could ever need. Coming back to this, which we looked at last week, Jesus said, they don't put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. The new wine is the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. And I end with this as we did last week, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so here's my question to you this morning as we end. Do you want more? Do you want to live your life with the power of the Holy Spirit? Or do you want it to continue on whatever track and trajectory it's on right now? Do you want your attitude to be changed by the work of the Holy Spirit? Do you want... Your ability to witness, I mean, how many times do we live like Peter when he denied the Lord and people, you know, you're in a conversation and it's like you can see this is an opportunity for me to bring Jesus into the conversation, but I'm afraid, but I'm fearful. And whatever the, the source or the origin of that fear is, it's not the Lord. And yes, we might stumble, yes, it might be awkward, but if you think God is putting on your heart to stand up and say something in the name of Jesus, then just do it. And I would say to you, go to an extreme, open your mouth and speak the, something you've read from Scripture or something that God's put in your heart. God's love, right? Speak something that's loving. Speak something that's kind. Take the the negative situation you may be in at the water cooler 
where there's sarcasm and cynicism and bring joy and hope and peace to it. You know, people ask me at work, and I take this from my good friend Mo over here, if you ask him how he's doing, what does he say? Better than I deserve. I say that to people at work when they say to me in the hall, how are you doing today? Better than I deserve. And usually they're like, what? <laughs> you know what it's doing? It's planting seeds. And you keep saying that to people, then one day somebody's going to say, why do you say that? I've never heard anybody say that because of the hope that's within me, because of Jesus Christ who saved me from my sin. Okay, maybe it's awkward, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Because we are called to sow the seeds, right? The sower went out to sow seeds and he threw some and they were on the hard soil and he threw some and they were on the shallow soil and he threw some and they were on the, the thorny soil and he threw some and they fell on good soil. Throw the seed, sow the seed. Let it fall where it may. Don't worry about the, the condition of the soil. That's not your concern. Your concern is to sow the seed. Let the Holy Spirit through you sow the seed. Let him fill you with love. Let him transform your attitude. Let him give you a desire to serve. As you get up in the morning and as you go through your day and as you lay your head on the pillow at night, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That ought to inspire faith in you and me. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Make that your prayer. Ask God to do that. Don't look for all these supernatural signs and wonders, not that God can't or won't do them. Look for the sign of love. Look for the sign of the transformation of your heart, how you think and your attitude and how you speak. Let him fill you with the love of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. And would you be free, Lord, to bear fruit in and through our lives. May we be open and may we be willing to being your vessels, to being your servants, to allow you to fill us, to give up control, and to allow you to do your work within us, God. I believe that you will make the church what you want the church to be when the church begins to be and do what you intend for us to be and do. And that's to be people who are filled with the Spirit, who are marked by love, who are servants, and who are willing to let you change us from the inside out. Lord, have your way. Pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord. Make us your vessels, your servants, your instruments. And let our lives sing a song of glory and hope and joy back to you. May you be blessed and may you be glorified by our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.